Since the beginning of the pandemic, the American Medical Association has led the fight against COVID-19. As the nation copes with the effects of the crisis, we continue to offer tireless advocacy and expert resources. I'm Todd Unger, and this is AMA Moving Medicine, a podcast from the American Medical Association. This episode is part of an ongoing series featuring critical insights from the physicians and healthcare professionals on the front lines of the pandemic. Today, we're discussing how the care of women, including pregnant women, has been impacted by COVID-19. This is part of a special series focused on women physicians and patients throughout September in honor of the AMA's Women in Medicine Month. I'm joined today by Dr. Nicole Lee Plenty, a maternal fetal medicine physician and an AMA Women Physicians Section Governing Council member in Houston, Texas. Dr. Dana Block-Abraham, a specialist in maternal fetal medicine and fetal intervention in Fairfax, Virginia. Dr. Block-Abraham is also a delegate to the AMA House of Delegates and to the AMA Young Physicians Section for the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, and Dr. Luido Eji, Associate Dean of Graduate Medical Education at the University of Cincinnati College and a family, a family medicine physician in Cincinnati, Ohio. She also represents the Ohio State Medical Association in the AMA House of Delegates. I'm Todd Unger, AMA's Chief Experience Officer in Chicago. Welcome, everyone. Um, Dr. Plenty, I'm going to start with you. I know you see your share of high-risk pregnancies as part of your normal practice. How have high-risk pregnancies become even more complicated by COVID-19? Um, Todd, thanks for having us, first of all. And I'm especially excited to be with everybody on the panel. Um, So we knew from the beginning that pregnancy would probably be a high-risk category, right? So the flu in pregnant women can cause devastating complications. Before, um, we weren't really sure because the studies weren't reflecting what exactly happens in pregnancy and what happens to the fetus. Now we know that the CDC has listed pregnant women in the high-risk category, and we know that pregnant women can, in fact, get COVID-19, and when they do, they can become very, very compromised from a respiratory standpoint. And there's been some studies, some conflicting, um, that says that now, hey, the fetus can be exposed to COVID-19 potentially. So in this past couple of months, things are complicated and constantly being developed. Um, We are constantly learning new things. We're constantly developing new protocols for people in pregnancy, um, which wasn't there in April or May. Dr. Block Abraham is, uh, go ahead, sorry. No, that's okay. Yeah, I think exactly what um, Dr. Plenty is saying. It's been really interesting to watch this evolve as a physician because we've only known about this for about 10 months now and the speed with which information travels these days is unreal and so it's like one day you hear this the next day you hear that you're telling a patient this based on this and then the next day you feel like you just told them something you shouldn't have said and so I think it's been a bit challenging because of that you know it's it's great because it's prompted a lot of I think collaboration even overseas and we're trying to learn from the experience of the Italians and you know other places that saw this before we did but still we're trying to figure out how to best work that into our day-to-day and into our counseling of patients. And the the fact that the information keeps changing, like Dr. Plenty just mentioned, you know, the studies are coming out and it's like one week ago, you know, they say actually pregnant women get sicker. You know, they, they probably don't have a higher chance of catching it necessarily, but if they catch it, they can become really sick if they do. And then when you're talking with the patients about it, there's already an underlying level of anxiety 
And so from COVID itself, and then when we can't answer the questions that they're asking, it makes it a little bit harder, and I think even a little bit more anxiety provoking for them. Well, I, do, I do remember, and it's been quite a long time, that pregnancy uh, was a time of, you know, a lot of joy, but at the same time, very, very scary. And so I imagine that uh, for women, you know, having, uh, being pregnant in a pandemic is got to be super scary right now. How do you, you know, adjust your practice? How do you relieve that stress uh, about both of these things going on at the same time? Dr. Plenty? Um, so in terms of adjusting the practice, uh, my group has tried to alleviate some of the pressure on our general OBGYNs. And that is one, to make sure we're doing things in collaboration with them more. Um, perhaps if we have a high-risk pregnant patient that has hypertension or diabetes, if they need testing, we will then um, you know, do the things that they would ordinarily do in their prenatal visit so that they will not have to then go to their OBGYN's office as well. So anything we can do to alleviate the patient having to be seen twice in the same week sometimes or, or, or the same two weeks um, will do to try to assist them more. Um, I'm not doing as much virtual work, um, but I know some of my MFM colleagues are doing a lot of virtual work, and that is a patient comes in for an ultrasound. There may be one doctor that's seeing two different clinics remotely so that you don't have a provider, all of your providers working at the same time. So just in case um, a provider gets sick, um, you won't have to close down that entire clinic. So we've tried to sort of stagger our schedule to make sure that we have time to social distance ourselves so that we won't get sick. Yeah, we have, it's, I feel like it's difficult more so with the high risk pregnant patients yes. because they're needing to come for their visits. And there are a lot of times patients that we are not wanting to necessarily delay care for. So a lot of the primary OB groups or women with lower risk pregnancies, you know, the visits that were usually every two weeks have been spaced out to every three weeks, or, you know, there've been some other adjustments to the schedule as far as frequency of the patients coming back. And so I think we've done our best to kind of help guide that. And similarly to Dr. Plenty's group, we're trying to help, you know, step in and provide some of the basic prenatal care and answer some those basic questions as well. Um, our schedule really hasn't lightened up much, though. I don't know if it has for you guys, but, you know, women are pregnant and <laughs> they're still getting pregnant and so they still need care. And, you know, whereas maybe some other well woman visits and those kinds of things aren't happening as frequently, um, the prenatal care is still ongoing. And so it hasn't changed a lot as far as volume. Um, the flow of patients in our office and in our units has changed. We're doing our best to set aside socially distanced waiting areas and to try to minimize um, the like travel through the unit um, for all of the patients so that they just have to go, be in a couple of places rather than potentially be exposed by walking through the whole thing. Um, and we have been going to them um, to review ultrasound results rather than them coming into our offices. So those are just some other kind of basic flow things that we've changed. Well, Dr. Edgy, uh, can you talk a little bit about what kind of gender-based issues you're seeing in your practice during COVID-19? Thank you, Todd. Um, and I'm honored to be with this crew of fabulous women. Um, 
So our practice basically um, is, is built around preventive care. As a family physician, that's really important. And women have always been very good at coming in for the preventive care. I have not really seen that change, except for the fact that those who are um, of childbearing age have had some issues with trying to find childcare while they come into the office because they've been less um, likely to want to bring their, their little ones in. So that has been a little bit of a challenge. Um, the other thing is making sure that um, their kids, now that school has, has started, and they're doing some homeschooling and some hybrid models there, trying to make sure that they're still keeping their kids in school um, and doing the homeschooling, but able to come in for their care as well. So there've been some compromises that moms have made, but I think they've been good ones. Um, the well, other Dr. thing- Dr. Um, say, go ahead. So the other thing though that we have seen, and I think as soon as we had a shutdown early in Ohio, where we had a stay at home order, I immediately became concerned about the women who um, have domestic violence as a concern. And uh, we saw increases, of actually a 30% increase in domestic violence calls um, here in the greater Cincinnati area. But paradoxically, as soon as the shutdown actually happened, the calls went down 10%. And we assumed that was because the folks were in their homes and not able to make calls from the hotline in the space of their abusers. Um, we did also, however, see a huge surge in the sort of pent up um, need after the shutdown was lifted. And so definitely there were there were abuses that that were, were um, going on. Um, sad situation. Yeah. Medicine doesn't stand still. And at the AMA, neither do we. AMA members are physicians like you who are shaping the future of medicine. Become a member today and join the movement. Visit ama-assn.org slash movingmedicine. Um, Dr. Edgy, you have a whole other side of, the, of your work, which is uh, with uh, female residents and fellows. Um, how has COVID-19 impacted them? So I, yes, I have a privilege of 70% of my work as being an associate dean for graduate medical education. So um, I have about 700 residents and fellows who are in my charge and I'm to advocate for them. So very early on, again, with the shutdown, um, a lot of the daycares got shut down. And so residents who have an 80 hour work week, all of a sudden we're trying to figure out how do I care for somebody um, who's my little special one and also do really well um, as a resident or a fellow. And so we were very fortunate to be able to connect directly. We have a call every 4.30 um, since the beginning of COVID, every day, 4.30. Um, and I was able to go ahead and um, work with a team to um, get some daycare set aside at the YMCA. So all of our residents and fellows had an opportunity to go ahead from birth all the way on um, through age six, they were getting childcare right, right next to our space. Additionally, um, we were also able to go ahead and um, make sure that they had shelter in place options because we had some very young moms who did not want to come straight from the ER doing a shift and then um, go home and potentially take COVID to their little ones. So we were able to partner with some um, apartments and go ahead and get reduced cost housing for them and so on. Well, thank you. Um, I want to talk a little bit about uh, health disparities, which we know have really been exacerbated uh, by the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, I'd like to talk about, you know, how do health disparities add to the challenge and complications of what we're seeing and caring for women uh, during the pandemic? Dr. Block-Abraham, why don't you start? Sure. I think that um, 
really it's just coming to light more. I'm not convinced that it's that much different than it's always been. Um, I feel like there's a lot of systemic um, bias and racism that exists. And I feel like that places people already at higher risk for chronic conditions, which then translates into higher risk for pregnancies, higher risk for catching COVID or for becoming incredibly ill from COVID. And so it's not like an all of a sudden thing. It's just kind of bringing to light stuff that has been going on for a really long time, which I think is a good thing because we need to identify this and we need to work on ways to fix it from the get-go um, rather than be reactive to something that is, again, getting a little bit more attention. Great, you know, wonderful. Let's do something about it because it's it's time that we do that. So it's just, it's just, kind of showing or highlighting that, you know, certain populations in our country still get suboptimal care for a variety of societal reasons and they're sicker and they catch up more often and die more often from it. Yeah, I would add that um, from a pregnancy standpoint, it's definitely, COVID has definitely complicated the care of, of health disparities. So if you have somebody that is in DKA and they have COVID, well, I mean, that's a big deal. Um, and so it's definitely complicated that. And then if somebody gets COVID, um, they're more likely to get exacerbation of other things, right? So if they have chronic hypertension, we know that people that have chronic hypertension are more likely to get preeclampsia. If you get COVID, that by itself can increase your risk of preeclampsia. And if you already have chronic hypertension, well, you know, that can make the, make the, make treat, treating it so much worse. Um, and so we're, we're seeing things like that um, in terms of pregnant women being at home. Now they have people that have COVID in their households. Um, we know that uh, black and brown communities, um, they can basically be codependent on one another. Meaning if you have uh, multiple generations in the same household um, and one person gets COVID, then everybody gets COVID. And so if you have a pregnant woman that's also in that household that's trying to care for small children, and they're pregnant and their spouse has COVID or their mother or mother-in-law has COVID, um, it makes things uh, very, very complex. In my clinic, if you screen positive for COVID or if you just screen positive on the questionnaire for an exposure to COVID or if you have a fever, then you're not seen. So then we have to be creative with how are we exactly seeing you. Initially, it was, okay, we'll just delay them for the two weeks until they're negative or they're asymptomatic or until you know, their mother-in-law gets treated and they're negative. But now that this thing is going on for quite some time and will probably continue for quite some time, um, we've created a specific COVID clinic. Um, so if you're positive or you have an exposure and symptoms and you could be positive, then you're seeing in this other clinic. So that's the thing that's that we're trying to do to make things a little bit better um, to treat it. But yes, the disparities on top of COVID have created a lot of complexity. Mm. Well, <laughs> uh, last, last question. I know as leaders in the AMA that each of you have your own policy and advocacy issues that you're really passionate about. Where should we be focusing our efforts right now? Dr. Edgy, will you lead off? 
Sure. Um, one of the biggest concerns I have as an educator is making sure that our um, residents, male and female, both are able to get the best educational experiences. And unfortunately, with some of the travel bans, that has just really been very, very difficult. Um, so we've had to be creative and use multiple modalities to try and get um, residents and fellows educated um, and to try and shore up opportunities for them um, that are multidimensional. Um, so that's my biggest thing, making sure that their educational content remains rich. Dr. Plenty, uh, in terms of advocacy and policy issues, where, where do you think we should be focusing our efforts right now? Um, I think that actually the AMA is doing a really good job in advocacy and policy issues. Um, they are definitely um, talking about health disparities and ways we can combat that. Um, we are talking about um, ways that we can uplift and promote women. Um, we're doing that through the WPS or the Women Physicians section, and we're creating policies that promote women. Um, we are personally promoting women and um, celebrating women this month uh, as a whole. And of course, we celebrate women every single day. So I think that the AMAs do a really good job with diversity in medicine, um, promotion of women, promotion of um, people of color, um, and making sure that there are paths for people of color and women um, to become leaders within medicine and within their communities. Dr. Block Abraham, your final thought on policy and advocacy? Sure, I agree with um, Dr. Plenty and Dr. Edgy. I think that AMA is already doing a fantastic job on a lot of these fronts. Um, I think that we need to continue advocating for equal pay for telemedicine visits that we would get for in-person visits because in the day and age where we're using more of that because we're forced to, I think people are starting to, the general public um, and hopefully CMS and those people are starting to recognize the utility of it, you know, how useful it can be, and maybe we'll be more open to ensuring that we get paid for the, the time that we spend, because it takes the same amount of time, whether we see them, you know, tele, telehealth remotely or in person. Um, and maternal mortality is a big thing for maternal fetal medicine specialists and across the board. And so having strong policy and supporting advocacy on those efforts, as well as what Dr. Plenty already mentioned um, for, you know, just general equality and reducing disparities and things. Well, thank yeah. you so much, uh, Dr. Plenty, Dr. Black Abraham, and Dr. Edgy, for being here today, sharing your perspectives, and being an important part of celebrating Women in Medicine Month. Uh, that's it for today's COVID-19 update. We'll be back soon with another segment. For updated resources on COVID-19, visit ama-assn.org slash COVID-19. Thanks for joining us, and please take care. This content was originally published as part of AMA's COVID-19 daily video updates. Find the latest at ama-assn.org slash COVID update. I'm Todd Unger, and this is AMA Moving Medicine, a podcast from the American Medical Association. You can also subscribe to other great AMA podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher, or visit ama-assn.org slash podcasts. Thank you for listening.